0: Well, I am wearing the Paulist vestment again today because this is the 15th and final Paulist feast day of the year. We, societies of apostolic life, have lots of patron saints. Today is the feast of St. John of the Cross. Um, as you see, I saw as you walked in, is the famous Salvador Dali um, painting inspired by one of the visions of St. John. Uh, John was a mystic. He was a reformer of the Carmelite order. He is a doctor of the church. He was very influential in the spirituality and the mysticism of the founder of the Paulist Fathers, uh, Father Isaac Hecker. I would like to think that's why he's our patron saint not because he was beat up and imprisoned by men of his own community. That's a joke. Our first reading today is our third Monday of Advent reading. It's kind of confusing. It's from the book of Numbers. It's about Balaam, the prophet of the kingdom of Moab. He was not pro-God. He was not pro-Israel. And the king of Moab has asked him to go up to the clifftop and curse the Israelites who are coming. And Balaam says, I will only do what God tells me to do. And our reading is of two of his prophecies that he then gave. It might be a very interesting thing to combine with John of the Cross's great teachings about stripping away all things that get in the way of our relationship with God. So we will be reflecting a bit on his famous poem, The Dark Night of the Soul. Probably not the readings we were expecting for Advent today. I mean, if you hung in there to the end of Balaam's second prophecy, yeah, that sounded a little bit like Advent. The staff shall rise from Jacob. But, hmm. It's questions about where things come from. Balaam, the prophet who doesn't follow the God, but yet speaks for God. And questions about, well, is that of, of God, or of human things, and not a clear answer, well, it's just a coincidence, but today, with the Feast of John of the Cross, he is one of the great, great saints for helping us figure out how we relate to God. And as I mentioned at the beginning of Mass, he did have some rough times in his life. He was the companion, the, co- the, the, the colleague who helped Teresa of Avila reform the Carmelites in the time of, uh, in Spain at around the time of the Reformation, the Counter-Reformation. And John in particular ran into a lot of opposition from Carmelites who didn't want things to change. And so for nine months he was locked in a tiny, tiny space, 10 feet by six feet, and um, had to do his reading by the light of the moon, because there was only one small window. Um, he was beaten weekly. he was starved, and that was by other people who had pledged to live religious life. Perhaps because of this, John had a profound experience of the cross. He understood what it was to have everything stripped away. And of his great spiritual works, one of them is The Dark Night of the Soul. It is considered one of the greatest poems in all of Spanish literature. And in its eight stanzas, John is trying to explain to us how we grow in our relationship with God. He says that there are two dark nights. And, okay, you might say, if you read the poem, how did you get all that? Well, John then started to write, explaining the whole poem. He never finished it, but he got about 30 pages into explaining what these eight stanzas meant. So we're pretty confident we know what the first couple stanzas are about, because he tells us. And he says this first dark night that we have at the beginning, or near the beginning of our prayer life, is... Most people, when they start to pray, they have some really great, what I would call warm fuzzies along the way. You pray, you get this sense that God is there. You pray for something, you get it, it feels good. And the first dark night is when that stops happening in prayer. And John basically says, that's progress. You have reached a point in your relationship with God that it's not... Quid pro quo. I like to tell people, it's like when you first start dating somebody and every 15 seconds you feel like you have to come up with something funny to say and check if they're still interested in you and you spend the whole time doing that rather than getting to know the person. But hopefully you reach a point in your relationship where you can just sit for long periods of time without even saying anything to each other and still know that the other person loves you he calls that first one the dark night of the senses but further along the path there is another dark night the dark night of the soul when we become more aware of the lack that we have in our lives that things are incomplete in us that can only be filled by god Now, I wish I could tell you, in a life of prayer, you just have one bad night and one other bad night, and that's it. No, of course, we go through all these phases over and over again in our lives. But dark nights are progress on the spiritual journey, even if they don't feel that way. It's a great message for Advent. The longest, darkest nights of the year have begun. We are in the one week from the shortest day of the year. So we are in the darkest two weeks of the entire year right now. And just as it gets to its darkest next week, then we begin to notice the light coming back. It grows and it shines. I'd like to close by reading this poem. It speaks of Advent waiting in the darkest, in the sure and certain hope that God will break into our world in new, profound, and intimate ways. One dark night, fired with love's urgent longings, ah, the sheer grace, I went out unseen, my house now being all stilled. In darkness and secure, by the secret ladder disguised, ah, the sheer grace, in darkness and concealment, my house being now all stilled. On that glad night, in secret, for no one saw me, nor did I look at anything with no other light or guide than the one that burned in my heart. This guided me more surely than the light of noon to where he was awaiting me, Him I knew so well, there in a place where no one appeared. O guiding night, O night more lovely than the dawn, O night that has united the lover with his beloved, transforming the beloved in her lover. Upon my flowering breast, which I kept holy for him alone, there he lay sleeping and I caressing him there in a breeze from the fanning cedars. When the breeze blew from the turret as I parted his hair, it wounded my neck with its gentle hand, suspending all my senses. I abandoned and forgot myself, laying my face on my beloved. All things ceased. I went out from myself, leaving my cares forgotten among the lilies."